John Hanson here, and we're about to do the Wintrust Business Lunch, and uh, we'll take you till one, then continue on with the John Williams Show. John Hanson till two. Tom Gimble joins us now, CEO and founder at the LaSalle Network, LaSalleNetwork.com. Tom, as always, good to talk to you, my friend. Good to talk to you. I didn't know you took breaks from watching the Blackhawks, so it's good to see that you're working. <laughs> yeah, always, uh, always at it, Tom. Uh, so uh, this is an interesting topic, the idea of these cold days and these snow days. As bosses and employees start to continue to navigate this world of hybrid schedules and what's allowed or not allowed, what's your view on bosses and their employees during tough weather days? I think number one, John, is that It's not something that that literally comes out of the blue, right? We live in Chicago, and companies should have a policy well in advance, Hmm. number one. Number two is make it based on amount of snowfall or on temperatures or whatever, but we have the technology that if companies want to do it, you can give employees notice in advance to do that. And, And to me, the one thing I've noticed over the years, and, you know, I'm, I'm 51, I've been doing it for, for almost 30 years, is that what most people want, whether it's employees or politically and citizens or what have you, is they just want to know as much black and white information as they can. And, and what a lot of leaders do is they don't want to be forced to make decisions, so they keep it in the gray, mm-hmm. and that causes frustration. It's not what the answer is. It's making a decision. That's interesting that you say that. I think you're right. I think people can adjust to whatever the expectations are, but they got to know the expectations. A hundred percent. Now, the challenge that exists, and it always has, this is not pandemic, post-pandemic, it's always been this way, is kids and their school schedules on snow days. Mm-hmm. And when schools cancel, um, when, when school districts cancel in class, then that throws a wrench into into parents. And so that has to happen. And with technology, you should be able to remote work and not have to take a day off. I would think that that's a very feasible thing. And and for companies not to do that and to want to charge somebody a vacation day or what have you, if their kids are old enough to take care of themselves, it seems to me a little bit nutty to not allow people to remote work if the schools are closed. Right, for sure. And I can already feel the text coming in about people saying, well, nurses and firefighters and police officers and truck drivers, they can't take the day off. Yes, that is a fair point. We know it. I think we're talking more about office jobs, but that point is not lost on you ever, Tom. No, I I agree with the texters and the callers that say that. And I think that there should be uh, a lot of equality in, in what we're doing. And that's why You know, people need to make, but this is where I get back to my beginning statement, John, is this is Chicago, and this is the winter. None of this should be a surprise. None of it. Right. Do you think that offering, you know, not taking vacation days when your kid calls off sick or when it is, you know, wind chills are 20 below or more, um, that there's going to be some flexibilities. I'm of the belief that that goes a long way for employees' retention. Does the data bear that out, though? Yeah, I don't think there's been enough time with it because of the technology we've been allowed to do it for the data to bear it out. Here's what ends up happening is you have people that appreciate it and they are more loyal and they work harder. And then you have people who take advantage of it. And unfortunately, like in life, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And it seems to be that we focus on the negative, not the positive. I agree. And and that's really the, the shame of it all is when you have employees who just take advantage of the situation. Because if a kid is, is 15 years old and he or she is sick, does that require a parent to be home? 
if a three-year-old is sick, can you really work during that time? You just have to be true, truth about, truthful about things. Yeah, I just, the whole work from home thing, and this will be a, a debate I imagine we're going to have from some time, probably until the first recession knocks this out completely out of the water, uh, when it's the employer that has a little bit more hand than the employee, uh, maybe that'll get things back in whack. And actually, why don't I stop right there? Tom, is that what you think will need to happen in order for us to give the employer a little bit more say in what happens? No, I think we're almost there, actually, John. I, I, I believe that by the end of this year, we're going to be talking about that most companies are on uh, uh, most companies are on for sure a three day in the office, if not a four day in the office. But the Friday will end up being what business casual was. It'll be remote work day. But I, I believe that a year from now, it's almost not talked about. There'll be always be a few outliers that think that's the way to do it is to have 100 percent remote. But I think it'll be mandatory Monday through Thursday for most companies. What just drives me crazy, though, and it's not obviously here. I'm in the station at WGN, but some of my other gigs are very able to do from home. And uh, one employer has absolutely no problem with that for everybody. One has a little bit more of a problem with it. And they say, well, you do great when you're at home, but other employees don't. And I feel like guilty when I work from home. That still is with me now. And I try and put in the extra effort. Tom, why can't it be employee by employee based? Or is that just too messy? No, let me, people don't like this analogy, John, but if you had a sports team, would, would, could do you, can people practice wherever they want to, or do they have to be together? they got to be together. You have to have some rules. You have to have some standards. And unfortunately, that the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, to quote Star Trek. <laughs> and I think it's really, really important to remember that, is that there's always going to be exceptions to the rules, but you have to do what's right for the, for the majority of the organization and team players have to go along with it, and or the consequences are they'll look for another job. And if they do, then hopefully they'll find what they're looking for. This is still a free market system, and you have to do what's best for the company, and then individuals have to do what's best for them. Tom, i got about a minute left. 30,000 feet. You know, we haven't seen huge layoffs. We've still seen job uh, job numbers adding to the economy, uh, even if the revisions keep on going downward from previous months. Anyways, are you seeing us – I mean, you know this world – the layoffs aren't there, but are the openings going down? I know we have the government data, but what's your vibe check on how the job situation is in the country? Yeah, I think being on the street, I, I, I would just, you know, contrary to your statement, is I would say that we have seen a lot of big layoffs going back to January of 23. And we saw, especially in the big tech sector, a lot of companies. What we've seen, though, is um, there's a lot of startups. There's a lot of SMB, small and medium-sized businesses that are hiring. And we're seeing companies... While others are, are laying off, others are, are hiring and taking advantage of those layoffs and getting good people. So I just think we've continued to see um, the scale tipping in favor of a, of a positive economy. I think it stays that way. I think 24 is going to be a good year. I think the government has incentive to do that, obviously. Um, but I think the market's still strong, and I think we'll see rates not rise or get cut for at least uh, until the middle of the summer. All right. Tom Gimble, it's always great to chat with you, man. Take care, okay? Likewise, go Hawks. Yeah, go Hawks. LaSalle Network, founder and CEO, LaSalleNetwork.com. Philip Weiss from SciFarth at Works joins us right now. Philip, uh, Happy New Year. It's good to talk to you. Same here, John. Happy New Year to you. We're talking about the big kahuna today, huh? We are talking about the big kahuna. Uh, and from the perspective of many employees, interestingly, uh, they've been thinking a lot more about the big boss than we typically would hear or expect. We have surveyed uh, staff level, uh, rank and file level employees for the beginning of the year, 
And we've asked them, what's your number one goal or number two goal in terms of your career in 2024? And a recurring answer, a top-level answer we're getting is, I'd like to have more influence on my boss, which is really something we haven't seen a lot of in past years, John. Interesting. Meaning, yeah, employees are saying we want to bring an idea up to the boss, the manager, and get a thumbs up. So that's sort of a, a new reality. We've seen it before, but not with so much frequency. Do we think that bosses are just saying no more right now, that they're stuck in their ways, or maybe that all this labor turnover has led to newer bosses that maybe aren't as adept or know what it takes to keep the rank and file happy? Yeah, I th- those, are all, those are both good insights, and I think it's a little bit of all of the above, meaning there's been such upheaval and turmoil, as you know, in the employment sector. Employees historically have looked for financial reward, future opportunities, uh, that whole flexible work arrangement. So we've had a rotating cavalcade of employee wants and desires. And I think their employees are looking at their jobs, sometimes looking at that newer boss and saying, I want to have skin in the game. I want to make a difference, but to do so, I need the boss's support. So there's a, probably a bunch of reasons why, but employees feel this will give them more satisfaction and more stake in their success. Oh, 100%. When you feel like you've got stake in the game and your idea comes to fruition and I don't care what line of work you're in, you do something great and you know you want to be able to prove yourself at work a little bit and if the boss doesn't give you the, the leeway to do so, it could just make it not a fun place to go. Yeah, you're so right. And, and there's no question, John, that many bosses are somewhat firmly set in their ways. And that's going to apply more to the seasoned manager than the newly promoted. So that's another reason why I think employees want to feel they can get more traction. And so we've been getting the question from employees, okay, what are the best strategies to get the big kahuna to give me the big okay to my idea, my suggestion, my proposal? And, of course, there's some easy ones out there, as you might expect, John, which is if the boss if the manager has articulated a vision for the company or goals for the team, and you can leverage or springboard off of those and then link your suggestion, you're going to get much more of an amenable reaction. That's not always possible. So you got to be creative in terms of how you approach both the presentation of the solution or the recommendation and how you talk to the boss about it. Well, that's what I was going to say. You can't just be like, as per your email, you wanted ideas like this. Why aren't you saying, yes, it takes a little bit more nuance? You got a kind of example you can play this out to make it tangible? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to your point, John, you also want to make it an easier yes than simply, as you put it, saying, hey, you talked about this, You know, you know, put your money where your mouth is. So we have found talking to employees who have been effective at getting the boss to buy in that you want to offer what feels almost like a pain-free solution to a pain point that you and the boss may share. So an example to your request of that is we work with a catering company and talked to one of the senior employees there. And what this guy did was he specifically referenced the fact that inventory was spilling, falling off of carts that were being taken to event locations with the catering food and said, we got this inventory loss. I know you're aware of it. We All we need is smaller, lighter trays. Lessen the load, lessen the spillage. But his real motive, John, 
was at the end of the day, he wanted less of a backache from lugging these heavy trays around. The boss almost immediately agreed because hmm. the, the benefit was dual and the pain of the solution was so little and the avoidance was so big. So that's a great example of where you can leverage two different goals and get the best solution for both of you. Can you also like do a, like a dry run of it or something to prove that you're right without saying it like that to hopefully get approval? Yes. In fact, that is perhaps as if not more effective than the whole avoid the pain, which is what we call the pilot approach, just as you stated it, which is to say to a boss who might be leery of a big investment or changing the practice, hey, let's just give this a try for a month or two. Let me try it out as a test. No need for you to commit too much to this, including your reputation. And a good example of that is one of the office supply companies we work with had an employee who was on the sales team. And his suggestion, John, was, you know what? If I land a new customer, can I give them one free item with their first order? Maybe a self-sharpening pencil, maybe one of those elevation stands for a computer, and tell them it's a way to thank them for coming in and urge them to try it out. This salesperson generated $9,000 in additional sales of those add-on items. So what was a one-month trial that was low-risk, turned into a high-reward, long-term solution for everybody on the sales team. So both the lower the pain and the pilot are great ways to get the boss to inch along and give you the thumbs up. About a minute left, and I imagine if you just get a no, can it be like a quick you know, knee-jerk no? Can part of this, the solution be, okay, well, maybe we table this for a couple days or weeks? <laughs> yeah. Tabling is tremendously valuable, John. Because that way you can tell the boss, hey, let's. I understand that. I appreciate why you're giving me that answer. Can we revisit this in a month? I'll do some more research, get you some more data. And that way the boss doesn't have to say a no or a yes. You've saved face for both of you, and you haven't killed the idea. So cabling it and then resurrecting it is a great solution. Love that. Philip, uh, we always appreciate your time here. Thank you. Pleasure, and thanks for having me again, John. Seifarth at work.com, S-E-Y-F-A-R-T-H, at work.com. Always appreciate Philip's perspective on all those things. Jim Dalkey with us, senior editor, Chicago Interim. Jim, it's uh, good to catch up with you again. Hey, John, thanks so much. Great to be here. Yeah, you know, I've been doing a lot of stories on Your Money Matters about where Chicago ranks and, well, whatever, right? There's always new surveys out there. How do we do in terms of attracting software engineers and uh, and paying them? Where are we at in the world of software here in Chicago? That's right, John. So Chicago actually falls outside of the top 10 U.S. cities for software engineer compensation. So these are the techies that are building the software companies, uh, you know, that are used by, you know, businesses and consumers all over the country, all over the world. Uh, not surprising that San Francisco Bay Area comes in at number one here, obviously, Silicon Valley, uh, you know, the tech capital of, of the world. Their median pay for software engineers comes at just under $250,000. Uh, in Chicago, that number is 140000 which comes in just behind the 10th place city on this list which is Washington, D.C. Um, so Chicago, outside the top 10, that's a kind of a double-edged sword. Certainly, um, you know, this is good news for uh, startup companies in mm. Chicago who are, who are spending their money on these engineers, right? That's kind of a, a sticking point for um, Chicago tech's growth overall. Is that, you know, it's a cheaper city to do business in, so uh, a company can launch their headquarters in Chicago and they don't have to pay that 
$250,000 for a software engineer, you actually are getting at a discount at $140,000. Now, on the other side of the coin, if you're a free agent software engineer, um, you know, you know, and you're looking for, you know, the highest salary, you know, you maybe would not choose Chicago over another city that's going to pay you a higher median pay. But of course, you know, at the end of the day, this all comes down to cost of living. Of course, the cost of living in the Bay Area is certainly different than what you're getting in Chicago. And so uh, if you factor all those uh, different factors together, uh, certainly Chicago um, is a great place not only to, to, to work in tech, but to, to live at, at a modest uh, salary in terms of what you would have to deal with in the Bay Area or places like New York or Seattle. So, hey, a little bit of a double-edged sword here, but I think, you know, tech boosters in Chicago would still like to see uh, the city land up a little higher on that list. Yeah, because, I mean, is this just cost of living things? Like, if you were to compare other jobs in the similar cities, you'd see this same disparity? Or are these conscious decisions made by certain companies in these cities to maybe overpay a little bit to attract that talent? And I think that's exactly right. Like in the Bay Area, you just you you have to overpay because there's there's such a fierce talent race. Um, and you know you see it in Seattle as well. Seattle, obviously home to Microsoft, to Amazon, and to a very thriving startup uh, community as well. New York City, uh, number three on that list. You know, following uh, in NYC on this list is San Diego, Portland, Los Angeles, Austin, Boston, uh, Denver, and DC. And so um, you know what you find on uh, that list, the commonality there, all of these are really thriving, growing tech hubs. Um, you know, these are areas where techies want to work, where startup communities are really thriving and growing, even if funding is down kind of from those, you know, peak COVID times, um, you know, these are still cities that are seeing, you know, very robust tech talent. And so, um, yeah, you know, Chicago, not far behind at 140,000. This is according to a, a study from levels.fyi, which is a site that analyzes tech salaries uh, at companies across the world. Jim Dalkey from Chicago, you know, diving deeper into the tech world here in Chicago. Boy, health-related startups, uh I mean, healthcare is going to be a, a burgeoning industry. It already is, of course, and it will continue to be so for years. And a lot of people trying to get in the startup game for this. Yeah, and you know, there's a, there's a health tech tar- health tech startup here in Chicago called Artisite. Uh, they just raised forty two million dollars in, in a new funding round. You know, we uh, have talked often on this program about how uh, you know the, the funding uh, to startups in Chicago has just been way down from what it was, kind of in those you know, late twenty twenty, early twenty twenty one times. But hey, forty two million dollar round is certainly significant. What Artisite is looking to do is really bring artificial intelligence to hospitals and to the healthcare space. So they're using uh, AI in a couple interesting ways. Um, they're, they're, they're working with ambient sensors and computer vision um, to do a bunch of different things, including you know virtual nursing and um, some automation with documents. So really what they're trying to do is kind of automate a lot of back-end stuff, a lot of the paperwork that uh, healthcare professionals have to deal with, and really giving them more time to work bedside, to work with patients, and, and more time for that patient care. So that $42 million for this company is significant because now they uh, say that their software is being used by more than 100 hospitals right now, and they've got another 200 that are about to undergo implementation too. So this is pretty significant. Northwestern Medicine is a client of theirs as well. And so, you know, this is a startup that's really looking to, you know, double the number of employees that they have in in their building as well. And so uh, really interesting health a tech startup in Chicago here with Artisite. You, you say like uh, AI and healthcare, and I think people picture a robot coming into your room, probing you every which way, and then reporting out what you need. Uh, this isn't that. This is enhancing and perhaps just making things a little bit smarter at hospitals to give the professionals the, the leeway they need and the time they need to take care of their patients. 
Yeah, and sometimes, you know, AI is, is not so much the robot in front of you, but the, the sort of operating in the background, right? Sort of like cleaning up some of those background tasks that really kind of bog down um, a workforce, especially when you got to you know, take care of all kinds of documentation and paperwork and all that stuff that really keeps, you know, physicians and nurses from spending that time with their patients. And so, you know, AI is not necessarily this uh, big clunky robot right in front of you, but it really is I mean, really more of the AI software working in the background kind of cleaning up these processes and making the hospitals run more efficiently. Interesting. Other news in the healthcare startup world. And boy, I read profiles of some people that are so young doing incredible things, and I wonder what the heck I'm doing with my life. I felt that way when I read about Edward Aguilar. Great story you have here from Alex Zorn. Yeah, this is a, a, a software entrepreneur, a creator of Echo Labs. He's just 20 years old. Echo Labs um, is doing some really interesting stuff in higher education. And what they're doing is creating transcript, AI transcription technology for higher ed. So think, um, you know, universities uh, using this software to transcribe a professor's lecture or a classroom discussion. Uh, you know, so many universities have to be ADA compliant with so much of their material. And so what uh, Echo Labs is able to do is kind of take those discussions, take those lectures, very quickly transcribe them and use their software to make sure these universities' lectures are ADA compliant. Um, the startup raised $7.4 million in a pre-seed funding round. Pre-seed is really the, some of the earliest stages of funding that a startup can raise. And $7.4 million is certainly significant. The company says, according to crunch-based data, it's actually the largest pre-seed funding round ever in Chicago. So as we mentioned, hey, we've seen, you know, lots of uh, headlines about the lack of funding for service, but hey, a $7.4 million pre-seed funding round, certainly a big deal in Chicago and, and signs that, hey, this, tw- this very young startup led by a 20-year-old might just be onto something. It's also a good story of a pivot, right? This wasn't what they originally wanted to do. Uh, they had different goals in mind, and for whatever reason, they realized uh, that, that that perhaps the transcription, the AI thing was better for them, or Echo Labs. Yeah, the company set out uh, to build a hardware, par- a hardware product, a pair of augmented reality glasses, um, and pivoted to software. And, and you know, it, it's not surprising, right? What they probably realized is that you know, their underlying software technology is much more scalable and much less expensive than going out and building these augmented reality glasses. And so instead of creating the physical device, they pivoted to software. Um, so what that likely means is they're going to get you know, this technology into more universities faster and get more schools uh, using onboarding and using their technology. All right. Got about a minute left. Tell us about DriftNet. That sounds like a Michael Bay movie. Yeah, you know, more funding for Chicago startups, DriftNet. Uh, speaking of artificial intelligence, that's the theme of the day. Uh, they have created an artificial intelligence security company for schools. So they're using uh, visual sensors, threat sensors, and thermal imaging to detect or to help schools with, uh, with real-time data on where occupants are throughout the building. So not just, you know, the, the school uh, students and the teachers, but every visitor. So this is using imaging and sensors to track everybody inside and outside of the school. And really what it comes into is during um, a critical incident, too. So these sensors can really make sure that it's got eyes on where everyone is in a building, especially during a critical incident. Uh, this is the company DriftNet that just got funding from VWW Capital. This is a venture capital firm that's actually led by some powerhouses up north from us in Wisconsin. Advocate Health, Foxconn, Johnson Controls, and Northwestern Mutual are all behind this venture capital fund and um, putting more money into this uh, startup that just at the beginning of the year, 2023, raised about 15 point. Uh, $6 million in a Series A round. So it's a good chunk of change for a startup that's doing some pretty impressive stuff. 
And I got to say that it, just like any other AI story, there's a part of me that goes, uh-oh, what could be next? But then I see the point and what they're trying to do, and you say, boy, this AI te- technology, it's kind of on a razor's edge on which way some of this stuff could go, Jim. Yeah, no kidding. And, you know, they, they, uh, they, they've got um, working with about 40 school districts. Uh, across the country in 150 schools. And so uh, schools in Georgia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Texas so far signed on. Love it. Jim Dulkey, good to talk to you, okay? Thanks, John. Chicagoino.com if you want the pulse of what's happening in Chicago's tech world. All right, I've got my timer ready. What should I do with it, Steve Grzanich? Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. Northfield-based Medline has completed its acquisition of United Medco, and the company says it marks a significant milestone in the growth of Medline's health plans business. Medline is a manufacturer and supplier of medical supplies and solutions. United Medco provides supplemental benefits to Medicare Advantage, managed Medicaid, and commercial insurance. Medline says the transaction will augment the company's distribution capabilities and member engagement solution offerings. Boeing has one of the market's sharper losses as worries continue about troubles for its 737 MAX 9 aircraft following the recent in-flight blowout of an Alaska Airlines jet. At one point today, Boeing shares fell more than 7%. Boeing has told employees that it plans to increase quality inspections of its 737 MAX 9 aircraft. It says it's bringing in outside experts to review its quality controls and suggest improvements in response to an FAA grounding of the MAX 9. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. And here's Steve Alexander. Well, I found this guy that's got a collection of, of uh, caps. How many? Well, there's probably roughly about 114,000. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't think I heard you correctly. Say it again. 114,000. Well, I think we have a winner. Uh, more from him after I thank the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com for sponsoring us today. There's never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox. Okay, uh, your name, sir? My name is Scott Ligrid. I live in southern Minnesota on our family farm. Yeah, that's a farm started six generations before Scott in 1875. And uh, what do you grow? Corn, soybeans. And then uh, sweet corn for the canning factory. Oh, good. Uh, thanks for doing that. Uh, let's talk, though, about your cap collection. Now, how many do you have again? 114,000. How did that happen? Well, back in 1967, my dad got several hats from seed companies and implement dealers. And he looked uh, in the closet one day and thought they looked kind of pretty with the different colors and Thought it might be kind of fun to collect them. Yeah, things really took off when Scott's dad joined a National Cap Collectors Club. And over the years, as other collectors retired or died, Scott's dad added more and more and more caps. And do you have them all on display, Scott? Uh, Unfortunately, no, they are not, Steve. There's a thousand on the wall on shelves in our garage. And then there's about another 500 or so in the basement on shelves on the wall. Where are all the rest of them? The rest of them are in three van semi-trailers in special cap boxes. And when his dad died in 2011, Scott inherited the cap collection? I've been kind of off and on trying to find a home for them. There is a bit more urgency to find a home for them, although Scott's still a relatively young man. There is no next generation for the caps. Yeah, it would be nice to have them uh, somewhere on permanent display but until then it's always fun to look at him and think about my dad because uh we were really close and 
have a lot of fun together. Thank you for your time, Scott. We'll spread the word. Maybe there's a museum or somebody out there who wants to start a museum, and if so, we'll put them in touch with you. Are you still adding to the collection? Yep. I don't know if you have a hat with your radio station logo on it, but it would be fun to have one if you did. (laughs) Marlene Wells, are you listening? On the food calendar, it's National Fig Newton Day. I'm Steve Alexander. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. I'm sure Marlene will send one over right away. All right, let's get to our guest here. Last one of the winter's business lunch. You know, you think about physical fitness as a very personal thing, not necessarily a professional thing, but uh, Mark Meyer from Midtown Bannockburn, perhaps we should be thinking about how our health and how our fitness affect how we do at work. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. Should leaders, bosses be thinking about how they are physically fit or not? Absolutely, John. First and foremost, we know the health benefits. Uh, you're gonna you're you're going to live longer, so therefore you right. can uh, be a leader longer. <laughs> but uh, you know, when you walk in a room and uh, somebody notices that you take your fitness seriously, they understand that you know they're gonna you're gonna take your job seriously. Right, and so I, you're gonna gain. I was just going to say, before we move on, I want to say that taking fitness seriously doesn't mean that you have an eight-pack that you're on display at the uh, the board meetings or that you are the most toned person on earth. You're just talking about general fitness, right? Yeah, because everybody has their own version of fitness. It could be uh, working more physically or more mentally on your fitness. You know, I mean, there are two parts to that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're correct. You don't need to have an eight-pack to, to prioritize your fitness, you know, you have to, um, if you take 15 minutes to an hour out of your day to prioritize your time, uh, it's going to obviously have long-term health benefits. But just knowing that you take that time for yourself on a daily basis is going to tell others that, you know, your priority is you first. You have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of others. And if you can't, um, you know, prioritize that, then we should look at what your schedule is like and Try to fit something in on a daily basis so that, you know, you take care of yourself before you can take care of others. Does it go further than just oh, people respect someone who takes care of themselves? Does it also make you a better boss? Yeah, it totally does. Um, you know, when you think about uh, the hormones, you know, that you're regulating on a daily basis, the stress levels that you have to regulate as a leader, like if you're a CEO of a company and you have to um, make a lot of tough decisions and, and deal with uh, employee issues, you know, your cortisol levels are high. And to, to regulate those hormones is, is very important. So it's, uh, it helps you focus. You know, leaders, great leaders are laser focused and they get their teams focused on one goal. You know, they have a very good message and they get everybody rallied around that message. And if you're not focused as a leader, then, you know, your team is going to stray. Right. I, I just think of like people that are really busy with work, and I sometimes fall in that category, although I'm not really a boss. You know, it's like I picture that how to be fit and fitness in this world would be I got to get up at 4 a.m., I got to be there for an hour, I got to be fasting to get right where I am. Do I have it wrong in my head? Do a lot of us have this image of what it is and it can be way different? Yeah, I think I think a lot of people uh, try to bite off more than they can chew at first. You know, I think if you're looking, if you're somebody who has to get to work very early in the morning, then let's try to get something maybe at a, a noon hour, get away for a half hour if you can, or after work, you know, prioritize, you know, try to get your, your work done a little bit earlier. Don't take those late meetings if you can avoid it and, and get to the, the gym. Or even if you have um, an area at home, you know, if you have a yoga mat at home, you can do some meditation and some stretching and some push-ups and sit-ups. And, you know, it's the basic stuff that really will go a long way. It's more consistency than it is the, um, you know, like a, a max effort. 
on a daily basis. It's more just being consistent with the habits, do you think creating a, that routine. Yeah, very true. Do you think a boss who sets that time aside for fitness should make sure to pass that on to their workers, the people that work for them? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think it's pretty naive to think that if it isn't good, you know, if, if the boss is feeling the, the the positive effects of it, that it wouldn't be good for their his employees or her employees. You know, I mean, it's a I think now more than ever, people understand the uh, importance of fitness, both in mind and body and how much more efficient you can be and effective you can be at work. You know, when you're when you're distracted at work, you know, you're not going to get as much done. But if you if you prioritize your fitness and you have a certain amount of time in your day where you know you got to get your stuff done and you've already taken care of yourself, you know, you're going to be a more effective and efficient leader. All right. That consistency is key. And uh, as you probably will admit, it's not perfection right out of the gate. And uh, you can find Mark at uh, Midtown Bannockburn. And uh, Mark, we appreciate your expertise on this. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Get that new year off to a good start. And bosses, get fit. Me too. I'd love to do that.